On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about what these podcast conversations are teaching me, why I'm going back to basics with my habits, and what I learned from witnessing a police car car crash. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 61 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I'm going to be sharing the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges. Sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed is that every time you press play on this podcast, you're going to learn something new. And with that big, bold claim out of the way, let me say this, it's very unlikely that you're going to learn anything new this week because it's just going to be one of those episodes where I very quickly run through what I've been up to, what I've learned and so on, because it has been a very busy few weeks, um, but also not a very eventful few weeks, if that makes sense. Just lots of work, lots of goings on, but not much that I can really speak about. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about last week's episode. Let's talk about the conversation that you would have heard this time last week between me and Ryan Merton, because I'll be honest, whilst it was an incredible conversation and whilst I really enjoyed it and at the time I got a lot of value from it, I didn't quite expect there to be so many people who got such value from it. I think if there is one guest episode that we've published so far that has had such a a connection with those who listened, it has to be Ryan's. It has to be. Like all of the people that he knows on Twitter and on LinkedIn and so on, I've been reading through those comments uh, and seeing that it has really struck a nerve with people that Ryan knows, but even people who are essentially complete strangers to Ryan, people who I know or people who listen to this podcast, who have messaged me, who have reached out and who have said really positive things about the conversation and about the story that Ryan had to share, which was an important one, right? From essentially starting from nothing and building what has to be called an impressive career through to his um, his decision to quit gambling having spent hundreds of thousands of pounds, having won hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of bets. Um, it was just really worthwhile and there was lots and lots to take away from that. I actually listened to the episode myself on Friday, last Friday when it was published and that was me listening to it with a fresh set of ears because remember that conversation was recorded back at the end of December so I hadn't listened to it in a while and even listening to it you know, probably third or fourth time that was, but with a fresh set of ears, I was learning things and I was picking up on things that even I didn't notice in the time. And I was sat in the room, I was part of the conversation. So really, really interesting. Uh, and that's that's actually something I'm learning about these guest episodes of the podcast as I continue to record them, as I continue to plan them, and as I continue to speak in depth with people, which is that at least for the the four that have been recorded and you've heard so far, these are people that I know. I even know of them through the internet, but have never met them in the case of people like Billy, uh, Andrew, Tom, uh, sorry, Ryan, Tom, I have, have, of course, have met Andrew, um, or in the case of Andrew, you know, have met him in person. But 
sit down in a room for an hour with somebody, put your phones away and just have a face-to-face conversation with no distractions. And it is incredible how much you can learn about somebody in the space of an hour. It's amazing how much you feel like you know that person who was essentially a complete stranger an hour earlier when you step outside of that room. And so, you know, this has been exciting and worthwhile so far already, yes. But as this continues to go, you know, there are, what, 26 or so episodes with guests that are going to be published by the end of this year. I'm just really excited to um, to have more of those conversations, to learn more about people and to, again, quite selfishly, I've said this in the past, but to extract the lessons that all of these individuals have learned whilst living their very unique lives. Because, you know, I've I've watched vlogs in the past, I've read books, I've listened to other podcasts, and yes, you get to extract pieces of others' knowledge through those kind of mediums, but sitting down with somebody and having a conversation and being able to ask them the questions that you think in the moment is just so powerful. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, But as for next week... I'll be honest, I'm struggling for a guest. And let me explain to you why. It's not because I have four weeks in run out of ideas of who to speak to, anything, but it's actually because I planned things a little bit badly. So as I just said, the the four conversations that you have heard so far, they were all planned and recorded back in December on the 18th and the 19th of December. So just before London went into a tier four lockdown, And then a couple of weeks before, the whole of the UK found itself in some sort of either level four, tier four, or national lockdown, right? The thing we're all living through right now, the thing that is stopping us all from getting on with our daily lives. And I always knew that it would be the middle of February, getting on for March, that the Ryan episode would be going out, which gave me about two months worth of breathing room between London going into tier four, which is typically where I imagine most of these podcasts are going to be recorded, and... Um, the the next episode that I needed, right? I had four in the bank. I have four episodes like this. So I had nine weeks between publishing Billy's conversation and needing a new episode. And I thought, you know what? I have faith that by early March, there will be some sort of lessening of the restrictions to the point whereby it will be feasible for me to quickly drop a message to a couple of people I know in London and say, hey, look, I know we've spoken about it before. Shall we meet up? Shall we record an episode together? Now, it's not going to come as a surprise to you. I'm sure you've watched the news that we're almost in March and that's not yet the case. And so whilst I think legally, technically, it would be permissible for me to go to the studio, which is still taking bookings and for work purposes, make one of those bookings, have a guest in there, record an episode, be done with it, and then publish it next Friday. I don't think that that is the right thing to do right now. And so very suddenly, since Ryan's episode went out, I have decided against everything uh, that tells me not to do this, that I'm going to have to inevitably record a few remote conversations and the reason that I'm hesitant to do it is a couple of reasons the first is what I've just spoken about which is that of course being able to sit in a room with somebody where you can see where you can make eye contact where you can see their facial expression where you can pick up on 
little nuances of points that they make in the moment without having to rely on a webcam and a microphone and a couple of seconds of delay and accidentally speaking over each other and connectivity issues and all of the other things that we've all come to know and hate about video calls in the past year. Without having to do all of that, I think you get more out of the conversation. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to have to in the next seven days between this and next week, hit up a few people, book in a video call and get it recorded that way. Will I be able to do it? I'm not sure, to be honest, but we'll see what happens. It could well be, let, let, let me throw it out there, it could well be the case that this time next week, you press play on Life and Lessons and you have the misfortune of having to listen to me for another half an hour because there might not be a guest, but I think there will be. I think we'll get to the bottom of it. It's just one of those ones whereby I tried to second guess when restrictions would be eased so that I could have in-person conversations. And unfortunately, my guessing was wrong. And so here we are having to do at very short notice some sort of internet video call episodes, which is fine. You know, there's a couple planned in the future anyway with future guests who I just can't feasibly travel to because of where they're based. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But I can't tell you who is the uh, the guest next week because right now there isn't one. So something I spoke about in yesterday's email was the idea of quitting, right? I spoke about Ryan and his gambling and quitting and how that links to Um, stepping away from something that is part of your identity and how that can often be a positive thing. Now, I want to seamlessly segue that into talking about something that I have quit recently. And we spoke about it before, but I have really properly quit it now, which is 75 hard, right? I say it every time, this isn't about to become a 75 hard podcast. I will brush over that part of this story very quickly, but there's an important, I think, moral, uh, an important undercurrent behind it. So, Basically, I was going to restart 75 hard on Monday, just gone. And I was thinking about it and I thought, you know what? There's actually no point. The reason I began 75 hard is a reason that I still agree with. I absolutely believe in the importance of building mental resilience, of building mental toughness, of being able to push through doing something that you don't want to do. And for the first, whatever it was, 20 six days of 75 hard that I managed to get through that's exactly what the challenge began to teach me but like I spoke about on the episode when I explained why I stopped it first time around or rather why I failed first time around lots of it comes down to finding the time in the day to be able to do those five things right finding the time in the day to be able to do two minimum 45 minute blocks of exercise add into that, you know, getting changed, traveling, planning, and so on. That's like two and a half, three hours of a day gone every single day for seven days a week, back to back for like 11 weeks. I think there's a difference between mental toughness and almost self-sabotage when it comes to actually being able to get done in any given day, the things that you need to get done. And look, for most people, or maybe for some people is the correct phrase, doing 75 hard is probably fine. But I found that for me, because of the unpredictable nature of parts of my day and my week, my life, I don't think that I'm ever going to have a 75-day clear streak where I can absolutely commit to doing those five things without something getting in the way for one of those days. And of course, like we've spoken about before, the problem with something getting in the way for one day, 
with 75 hard is that that progress is lost and then you have to start again and I could quickly see it stretching out in front of me to turn into this absolutely enormous never-ending thing and so I just thought you know what there has to be a better way and actually that better way is something that I've done already if I look back to 2018 2019 where I think that's probably the period of my life where I progressed the most what I was really doing in that period was focusing on simple habits, not that necessarily moved things forward, but things that guaranteed that I wouldn't have a bad day. And what I mean by that is I had a a list of habits. I think at the time it was around 15. I've since moved it down to like 12. And those habits were essentially like a hygiene standard. They were the things that I had to get done in any given day to just have the best chance possible of having a not bad day, not even a good day, just a not bad day, right? Waking up, uh, making my bed, drinking enough water, uh, all of these things that are like simple, but when done together, they give you a fairly good foundation for a day, right? And this comes down to the whole idea of inversion, that to be successful in most things isn't necessarily to excel but it is to avoid being bad. Like avoiding being bad is 90% of the job of almost any discipline. And then of course, on top of that, you've got the like 10%, which is the finesse, which brings you to like the the new heights of success. But 90% of life is just avoiding bad things, right? It's avoiding not getting enough sleep. It's avoiding not drinking enough water. It's avoiding eating shit foods. It's avoiding um, not exercising at all. And so the list of 12 habits I have, I pulled them up now and read some. So making my bed, trying to do 50 push-ups and 50 crunches just to have some sort of physical movement in my day. I tell you what, I did 50 push-ups the other day, five sets of 10, and I was fucked for two days afterwards. So I need to work on that. I need to, I guess, gradient up towards those 50 because the the delayed onset muscle soreness I had from just 50 push-ups proves how physically unfit I am. Uh, taking vitamins, no caffeine after 4pm, going on a walk or a run every single day, planning the next day, the day before, drinking two litres of water, laying out my clothes for the next day, the night before, making sure I read every day. That's that's some of them, right? Getting all of those things in is a really strong, good foundation, and it allows me the best chance possible of being happy, of being healthy, of being productive in any given day. And like what we've spoken about before with the Slight Edge book, those things are actually really easy to do, but they're actually going to make a difference. And I think that that is the decision fork in the road that I came to on Monday when I was about to restart 75 hard. I just thought, you know what? It's cool. It's interesting. It's a story to tell, but does it serve a real benefit? And the answer I arrived at was no. I think that I would rather take the the boring, the less glamorous, the less exciting path of having to remind myself in a checklist to make my bed, of having to remind myself in a checklist to, I don't know, lay out my clothes. It's not exciting. It's not even worthy of a story other other than in the context of this particular story. And yet, 75 days into it, it's probably just going to be a lot more useful, a lot more productive. So that's where I'm at with that. Um probably won't tell you about it again because there's not much to speak about with it but I thought I'd just update you on it there's kind of a a shift in my mindset when it comes to that you know if you've ever listened to an episode of this podcast before that I love a fad 
75 hard was a fad that just didn't work for me. And then business. There's not much I can actually tell you about with the business right now, other than things are going well. Like, remarkably well. Um, We have signed a couple of new clients that we're currently onboarding, going through that process. Very excited to work with them. Uh, Really, really cool businesses ran by really interesting, really cool people. So excited for those. Uh, There's more sales in the pipeline. And then most excitingly is a part of the business that we're looking to expand into. Um, When we zoom out and look at our wider mission, which is to uh, build the most effective business growth agency on the planet, right? That's like the North Star we're heading to. And by the way, I think it's something that genuinely is absolutely achievable. If you look at the definition of effective, which is essentially successful in achieving an outcome, like we need to be good at four or five disciplines, like very, very good at those disciplines. And suddenly we are an absolute machine. And that's why our clients trust us. That's why our clients stay with us. And so we have almost the full service suite covered. There's something that we could improving there's something that we could expand into that would make us even more unstoppable even more useful to our clients even better in the results that we generate and so that's what we're looking at right now um it's exciting it's uh it's daunting almost because it's it's quite a big departure from what we're used to uh producing for want of a better word as a team but it's something that Yeah, I'm definitely excited at the prospect of us moving into. It's probably going to be something that we speak about in a few months time. Quite honestly, it's not going to be one of those quick things that happens overnight. But that's kind of where my mind is at in the business right now, which is, yes, of course, taking care of the existing clients. Yes, of course, onboarding the new clients and working that pipeline of existing, sorry, of potential clients. But also a very big part of my brain is looking forward to Uh, the second half of this year to what we could potentially become by the end of this year and just the the mountain of value that we're going to be sat on top of this time next year if we pull off what we're hoping to pull off so I'll definitely keep you updated on that but right now there's not a lot I can tell you and then I guess the last thing I want to talk about and uh, (laughs) Chloe told me I'd speak about this on the podcast as soon as I told her she was like that's great content Um, so there we go I am going to speak about it is Saturday. Last Saturday was weird as fuck. Like it was, if I think back to any day in my life ever, it was definitely like top five most unusual, stressful, weird days of my life, period, right? So let me break it down into two halves. I won't go into any detail at all about the first half and then I'll go into enormous amounts of detail about the second half. So it was 7am last Saturday and my mum gets a phone call. And it was the care home where my dad lives and they had phoned to say that for uh, some particular reason he had had to go into hospital very quickly. And so uh, they were asking if my mum could go in and just be with him because, you know, for anybody being in hospital isn't a pleasant experience for somebody with dementia who suddenly finds himself in an A&E department. I'm sure it is very uh, stressful. So I jump in the car drive my mum to the hospital, drop her off, because of course, um, you can only have one person in there because of COVID. And then I go and park up in a car park, drive around an industrial estate for a couple of hours, park up in Asda, grab some food, do a bunch of things, right? I'm just killing time, thinking that I'll be able to pick up my mum soon. 
And then she calls me and she says, yeah, look, they're going to take a few hours. They need to do a few tests and whatever. So go home and then drive back later on when I'm ready to be picked up. So that's what I did. Um, that's, by the way, that's that's part one of the story. Like, I was already stressed and, um, you know, my mind was elsewhere because of everything that was happening with my dad in the hospital. But I thought, you know what, I'll drive home, I'll chill out, I'll get home, do whatever. I think I got home, had a Red Bull, read a bit of my book, and then my mum phoned about an hour and a half later and she said, cool, they're going to discharge dad, so, you know, jump in the car, come pick me up, and I'll be ready in about half an hour. And so that's exactly what I did. Got in the car, uh, I was driving, I was probably driving for about 10-15 minutes, and then there's a uh, there's a thing called a... I got corrected on this the other day because I called it the wrong name. I believe it's called a hamburger roundabout. And it is essentially a roundabout through which there is a main road that goes through the middle. And so there is a police station on the left-hand side of this roundabout and then a road that goes down from 70 to 40 through the traffic lights on this roundabout. So lots of people still treat it as if it's a national speed limit road. And so I stop at the first set of traffic lights, just, I almost didn't stop, you know, when a light has just turned amber and you could definitely make it through if you kept your foot down, but split second decision with absolutely no logic whatsoever, my mind just happened to break quite heavily. And so I stopped at that set of traffic lights, which meant that there was me at the front of the queue at these traffic lights, free lane road, and of course a car to the left of me and a car to the left of that and then quite a lot of traffic behind us. And then just as our lights go green, we're heading towards the second set of traffic lights. And it is this set of traffic lights that controls the road out of the police station. And our light is still green, but I hear a siren. I'm looking in my rearview mirror. I'm thinking, where is that siren? I can't see it. Like, there's so much traffic behind me that I just can't see where this police car, this ambulance, whatever it is, I can't see where it is. And so just as I get past the line of our green light, I see that there is a police car with its blue lights on coming from the left of me and the other car that's at the front of this group. Um, essentially coming out of the police station through a red light. Uh, and he is, the driver is, looking to his right um, as he crosses in front of the car next to me and me. And he's crossing onto the opposite side of the road, which is another three-lane road. Like I say, it is... The majority of that road is a 70. And yes, the section that he was just about to drive into through a red light was a 40. Whether the, uh, the the vehicles on that side of the road were doing 40 or not, I don't know. I'm not qualified to say. But anyway, the police car cuts in front of me and he's just about to pull out onto the other side of the road. And I think nothing of it. Our light's still green. The police car has passed, so I'm not looking at it. So I drive off. And it must have been about a second after I drove off, I hear this, like, screeching of tyres. The best way I can describe it, how I thought of it in the, like, microsecond when it happened is, you know when you hear a car pulling off very quickly and, like, it's tyre screech? Given that i just seen a police car with its blue lights on driving out onto what is about to be a very fast road, I assumed that he had just accelerated very quickly. And so I look to my right as I hear this screeching, and just happen to look at what is about to unfold like a a microsecond afterwards, which is actually that screeching was a people carrier, which was doing, I don't know, 40, 50 miles an hour um, through a green light 
on his own side of the road. Like, I would say he was in no... He wasn't in the wrong, as far as I could see from what I witnessed. And so as I look to my right, this silver car absolutely fucking plows into the side of the police car. And I'm like, what the fuck do I do? Like, it was a busy area. But, you know, I've only been driving for, what, four months. I've never in my life witnessed an accident before. And to be honest, not that I've ever paid any thought towards it, but the only thing you really learn about when it comes to accidents in the theory test is if you witness an accident, you should phone 999, right? But in these these microseconds between witnessing that crash and eventually pulling up on the left-hand side of the road to kind of get out the car, I'm thinking, what the fuck do you do when you've witnessed a crash, but the crash is with the emergency services does that make sense like i thought i literally have no idea what to do right now and then of course because it was right next to the police station on a busy roundabout where there's like six or seven different flows of traffic that you have to block in order to control that crash site like all hell broke loose almost immediately it must have been 40 or 50 seconds after the crash that there were just sirens coming from every direction and you know before i eventually got out of the car because i stayed in the car for a second seeing that the scene was clearly quite busy with the police that had just arrived. There must have been, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe even nine police cars. An ambulance had turned up. There was a fire engine turning up. And so I did my thing. I walked over to the police, gave a statement, said what I saw, gave my details, all of that stuff. And then I set off to the hospital, picked up my mum, went home. And to be honest, at that point, although I drove back past the accident site on the way home, obviously had to take a diversion, I almost thought nothing of it because I witnessed the crash and it didn't look that bad. But it was only when I saw on Facebook later on, because you know what local people are like on Facebook, the kind of shit that they will take a picture of and share is crazy. It was only when I saw a picture later on that I thought, shit, like, was that crash worse than I thought? And by the way, it wasn't, as in as far as I'm aware with all of the facts that I've been able to establish from people in the know, um, it wasn't actually serious. Like the, the police released a statement saying that nobody had any serious injuries. So that's good news. But in order to release the passenger from the police car, the fire brigade had to take off all four doors of the police car, the boot and the roof. And so I look on Facebook and I see this picture and I'm like, what the fuck? Because, of course, this is entirely irrational, but in the moment, only a few hours afterwards, when I'm still, frankly, honestly, a bit shook up from it, I'm looking at this picture of a police car that is literally a set of seats in a bonnet, like everything else has gone from it. And I'm like, did me, without even thinking, opting to happen to stop and therefore happening to let that police car pass in front of me at the exact second it did i wouldn't say cause it i certainly wouldn't say cause it my insurance company was listening but i wouldn't say cause the accident but does that make sense like it it goes back to the thing that i always always speak about which is the the revolving door theory the idea that if you step into one pod in a revolving door you will enter a street at a particular moment in time if you step into the next pod you enter that street a couple of seconds later And in my life, I had never really had an example of a revolving door 
I knew it as a theory. I found it fascinating. It's something that I speak about a lot. But there were two pods, essentially, in that revolving door in that moment in life, right? And it, it, it was the first set of traffic lights that everything in me was saying, no, just carry on driving. But by just fluke chance, without thought, as you do, my foot happened to go for the brake pedal rather than to accelerate, which made me stop at that particular set of lights, which made me the front vehicle in the queue that happened to let that police car pass, which then got absolutely ploughed into. And like I say, it's, it's not a concern now because I now have the full set of facts and I know that nobody's seriously injured and that everybody's okay and that, you know, the most damage that was done is that a fucking old people carrier is probably written off and a police car doesn't have a roof anymore. But in the hours, and it, it felt like a lifetime, but it was only about four hours between seeing that picture and actually having the full set of facts, I just couldn't stop thinking, like, shit, did did I cause that? And I know I didn't. Like like I say, it's irrational, right? I wasn't the one who missed a big, fast-moving, blue-lighted, loud police car and happened to drive into it. I wasn't the 999 driver who cut through a red light and didn't see a car coming, right? Of course, whoever's at fault, if anybody, it wasn't me. But yeah, my mind was just scrambled in those few hours, to be honest. And that's the thing I kept coming back to, the the revolving door because it just goes to show right that and you know this uh, not to make the story about me because this story is absolutely not about me that situation was not my situation to own if that makes sense I was not the one involved however it's the first example I've ever seen firsthand of the revolving door theory because if you rewind both of those clips ever so slightly you know let's rewind the police car a little bit um, what if they were parked a couple of parking spaces further away from the exit of the station? And so they left a couple of seconds later. And so they drove um, out onto the roundabout at such a time when that car wasn't there. What if the silver car, if we rewind that one, what if he um, missed a gap on the roundabout that he had just come off of? So he wasn't there at that exact moment in time. And yeah, I don't know, just this whole, the revolving door theory, like I say, it's something I've spoken about so much because it absolutely fascinates me that we never, ever, ever really know the true consequences of anything we do, period, until much later on, because everything plays out, right? And it was the first time that I'd seen that in practice, and I just thought, shit, maybe that's a weird lesson to take from witnessing a quite fast serious looking car crash but that's that's a lesson i took from it anyway and with that said that is all i have which is good news because i'm sat in the office and i can hear that the cleaner has just started hoovering outside so hopefully you can't hear that uh, but that's probably a good place for me to wrap things up um like i say i don't know who the guest will be next week if there'll be a guest hopefully there will be one uh, if you're following me on socials twitter instagram at spooner sean uh, I'm sure you'll see even when I record of somebody. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you as always for listening. I hope you've had a good couple of weeks since we last spoke like this. And yeah, I hope you have a good couple of weeks. We're finally on the path out of lockdown, hopefully for the last time ever. And I'm sure you're looking forward to the 21st of June, is it? Just as much as I am. And I'm sure that we're going to talk about that a lot more in the coming weeks. But in the meantime... Thank you as always for listening and I'll see you back here this time next week. 
for episode number 62 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.